Welcome to Sober Sisters Talk. I'm MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell. Welcome. The speaker series happens once a month. This will be part of our weekly Zoom meeting that happens every Friday night. If you would like to be a part of that meeting, you have to be female. And send us an email at SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. If you would like to tell your story, please reach out to SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. We want to have more stories out there in order to help other women. And here's our next speaker. Thanks for listening. Also, we'd love to invite you to a Zoom meeting this Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're interested, email SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com and we'll send you the meeting information and password. We hope to see you this Friday. Hi, I'm Marlene, a grateful, recovering uh, sex and love addict. I feel like I want to have a little cry, but that's okay. I was born, first of all, I'm 59 years old. I don't know why I felt like I needed to say that, but I am. Okay, so I was born in Port Elizabeth, South Africa, into a family at the time of four. At the time, uh, there were four in our family, including my mom and dad. Uh, When we moved into our home that I remember, um, the first home that I lived in until I was like 12, my parents only had like five cents. And my mom and dad cleaned up and fixed old ovens and washing machines and resold them to make a living. I've heard a lot of stories of their struggles, Um, but they were pretty happy. My mom was very, like, always there to assist my dad. And um, they always made sure we had um, very, um, like, there was always a meat, there was always a vegetable, there was always like a, a starch. And so they made they made sure that we're all well fed, um, and then we played outside. There were lots of ovens and washing machines and things like that. And also, my dad loved boats, so there were a couple of boats in our backyard as well. But I liked that. That was fun for me. Um, I think I enjoyed I enjoyed my my uh, toddler years. Um, but it wasn't until I became about four years old and, uh, as I was writing, I realized that, um, I was a little bit older. Um, so I start, um, maybe I wasn't, um, since I was a little older and my mom had other babies, um, perhaps I wasn't, um, closely, um, loved on or something I don't know but I started really really feeling intense loneliness um those uh let's see okay um we had a helper growing up as it was customary in those days and probably still is and I do specifically remember feeling very connected to this lady um I remember she was helping dress me and there was like such a connection and I recognized that as love um, because I just was beginning to see that I didn't have a lot of um, nurturing when I was small. And as I've looked back, I just don't recall um, really sitting on my mom's lap. Um, yeah. Okay. And then... Um, 
one thing I was also going to say was that um, I do remember my mom sewing labels um, onto our uniforms on every piece of our uniform um, with different colored labels. So I knew that she had a lot of love for us, but she really had, my dad was pretty um, needy, I guess. And so um, I make up for that lack of time, uh, individual time with her um, due to that. Okay. Um, let's okay when I went to, um, let's see I did feel special and happy that my, a lot of my mom's attention had been poured into our school uniforms everything was definitely not all bad my mom and dad were very particular about balanced meals which I said on time and manners please and thank you were a big big thing my mom was a teacher at heart and my dad um, a very persuasive I guess I went into um his work at this point. My dad was a very persuasive salesman. Um, after he landed a sales job after um, doing the washing machines and fixing the ovens and all that kind of stuff. Okay, each night like clockwork, my mom and my dad has his had his few drinks of scotch and I remember him encourage my, encouraging my mom to drink. Um, she just drank some brandy and orange juice um, yeah, um, I thought this was pr pretty, uh, like, um, flowing, but it doesn't feel like it right now. Okay. Um, I remember when, um, I remember when my mom, when I was super small, I was outside of my room and I was, for some reason, I thought I might've needed them or something. Maybe I was feeling a little lonely. And I heard my mom and dad uh, fighting. My dad always made sure that there was a bar in the home, like a bar that they could sit at at nighttime. And um, um, this was one particular night that um, I heard my mom. Uh, this was probably the last time I heard my mom speak up to my dad. Um, I guess she just decided it would be easier to keep the peace. Um yeah, so at that point, I um, I felt like I was on my own, and I'd have to rely on myself. For some reason, I just felt that in my heart. Um, okay. Okay, at four, at four, I remember really feeling um, this pain in my heart, and that's when I discovered um, masturbation, which I, I know that that's part of um, a developmental thing. But I really relied on that for comfort and just to take away that pain. Um, and then I'm going to skip forward to, um, oh, yeah, this behavior lasted until I was 13. During, during early school ages, I remember trying to talk my little neighbor... Uh, my little neighborhood friend into taking off his clothes. He got mad at me and ran home. I think I even wanted to act out with him. Um, I was a little older. I think I wanted to act out with him because um, I knew about sex. Somehow I knew about sex. Um, uh, let's see. 
that uh, that weekend was his birthday, and all of a sudden um, he threw a rock at my head, and I realized he was angry because of what I had tried to do. Um, during um, my um, elementary school years, I was obsessed with um, wanting to act out with my girlfriends, um, and there was one girl, and she seemed uncomfortable, but I could tell that this was mostly on my part, so I started wondering what was up uh, with me. Um, um, then for about a year, um, my um, twin brothers and my mom and I moved to my grandmother's house, and there were two boys that I became obsessed about, and I was 11, and just fantasized about them all the time. Uh, then we moved to, uh, after that time, we moved to, um, before we actually moved, we went back to our home and um, I saw my dad. I always knew he was kind of mean. To, well, he was mean to my mom, but uh, I saw him push my two, my older brother and my little brother. And I just always knew there was... Um, that he wasn't that safe to be around. Um, anyway, as my dad sales, um, uh, sale, he was very successful with sales and then he was promoted to go to a big, bigger city. So we moved to a bigger city, Johannesburg. And um, my sister had a boyfriend and as much as we could get out of the house every weekend, we were at our friend's house because um, my dad always wanted us to work and help him with whatever chores were around. And so we just we just didn't want to be at home, basically. Um, so I hung out with my sister's boyfriend uh, one day, and I was obsessed about him. Um, thankfully, I really was too scared to do anything, but I, I uh, left school and just hung out with him. Anyway, we immigrated to the States when I, the day that I turned 14. Um, and then uh, when we, um, we moved to Houston and then we eventually moved to Pearland. And um, that's when I met uh, this boy and I was obsessed with him for like five years all through high school. And... Uh, um, I still hadn't had uh, sex with anybody, um, and then I'm just going to jump to uh, forward to when I was 16. I wanted to remain the virgin out of all my friends, but this guy, um, I knew he was going to want to have sex with me. My parents were out of town, and I stayed home. Um, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know if I, my brother was with me or not, but anyway... Um, uh, that's when I lost my virginity, and um, I don't. I, I know that it hurt, and I wanted to him to stop. That he just said it was fine, and yeah, so that happened. Um, anyway, I got over that, and I met a boy, another boy at the beach. I was fifteen, and um. um we, I think we had sex that first day, 
um, at his house. Um, I was just so impressed with him because he was 21 and I was 15. Um, looking back, of course, that was statutory rape. Um, but I remember being all like with my head in the clouds the next day. Um, he was also looking back. I, well, I could tell he was jealous and a little bit possessive. Um, uh, but I became a lot more aware of that as I got older. I mean, not older, um, as I've looked back on my story. Um, let's see. Off to high school, went back to South Africa, found whoever to sleep with, um, slept with married men. So my bottom lines were, you know, I could tell that was I'd never, I'd always respected um, to not do that, but. I did that. Then, um, anyway, I, my jump ahead and, um, I met my, um, I met my, uh, ex-husband now at church. Um, and he relentlessly pursued me and that was a messed up relationship. It wasn't even a relationship, but, um, it, it he was, yeah, he, he was abusive and I fought back. So yeah, it was just a mess. A year after I met him, um, we had sex, I got pregnant and then I had an abortion behind his back. I was 29 and, um, wait a minute, sorry, I was 25 and I was way too scared to tell anybody. I still was under my dad's, um, hold or whatever you want to call it. And I was too scared to tell my dad. Okay. So got married, uh, ended up having an emotional affair. Um, after I was married for eight years and started realizing that, that, I mean, I was always boy crazy and all this, but I started realizing I, I knew that I needed to be healed and I started praying that God would heal me. But uh, it wasn't until I got into recovery and I had um, this awakening at rehab. I went to rehab in 2009 for alcohol. And that's when I really had an awakening um, because of the 12 steps. Um, yeah. Um, the 12 steps were kind of... Um, I thought I'd done the 12 steps, you know, um, but really I hadn't. I, I looked at them and just thought, yeah, okay, I have a problem with drinking. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I turned everything over to God. And so I just thought, yeah, okay, I would tell them I've done the steps. And that's okay. It was just part of my process. Um, uh, so I got a sponsor and worked the steps in AA. I, um, at, at the literally right at the end of, end of that, I, um, I'd heard of slaw. I, the first time I went to a, um, a recovery group, I was mostly go, it was at a church and I was mostly going for, um, you know, alcohol and, um, I heard a lady in there um, say, um, 
her name and then she said i'm here for sex and love addiction and i was like oh that's that sounds really gross you know um she was probably a little older than me at the time and well she was like how old i am now anyway um so after I did, I kind of got, am going back and forth, you guys, because I don't want to drag it out too long, and I want to be able to say um, how Islam made a difference in my life. So um, I decided to go to the um, problem with men group, which was like love addiction. So I, I felt like the alcohol was under control, and I started needing help in this area. And so I went and then I started realizing I needed like a lot more help than just a little bit of love addiction. I, I needed like um, the street slaw, which is like the secular slaw. And so there were two girls in there. They were older. And to me, they were like so had so much recovery. And so I, I started getting really serious with um, the slaw in the streets <laughs> just the secular law the hardcore stuff anyway so um my very first houston meeting was at saint john the divine the morning saturday morning group and uh, it was an 11 o'clock group and the thing that they were talking about was their inner child and that's what it took to hook me because i was always aware of this inner person, this little girl, um, inside of me and my daddy issues. I was so aware of that. And, um, so I just, I just heard hope and I just drank it all in and, uh, um, got a sponsor and I was so ready to do some healing. Um, when I, yeah, so I, I worked the steps and, um, I could just sense myself being a lot freer and um, I would, I would get on calls to women and they would say, they would talk to me and I, I, I like, I couldn't grasp getting in touch with what I needed and all these things. But through the process and going to meetings, it, things just started to click and learning how to, do self-care, you know, what do I need? But it's taken years to really, uh, it just, it's layer upon layer and uh, little awarenesses. And my main way my higher power spoke to me were, was through meetings and through picking up the phone and just talking to other uh, uh, women and whoever I connected with or found something that I liked about what someone said, I would just... Um, try to reach out to them um and sometimes you know they're dry spells reaching out to women um and thankfully with zoom now it's a lot easier um yeah um yeah i'm really grateful i know that there have been times where i've almost uh, the one, the one main guy that made me really get serious about this program, um, I, the withdrawal was pretty intense, and I really didn't think. I, I mean, it was, it was horrible. Um, but I'm glad that I went through that because even though I am like 
divorced now and I could go find him or something. I just don't even want to do that. Um, and, uh, also another period, uh, when I had a change in my life, I started going to different meetings that were closer and it wasn't meeting the SLAA need. And all of a sudden I felt myself get close to the edge and I had to change everything. I had to change my meetings. I had to just, because I could tell that if I didn't jump right back into the meetings that I needed, I was going to lose everything. And, um, yeah, so I'm glad also about that. If I don't get the slow meetings that I need, I start feeling crazy. Like I'm in another program. And even if I get all those meetings, I still need SLAA meetings and, um, something will tell me, Hey, I need a meeting. Um, and that's what keeps me safe. And, um, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's falling and scraping my knees sometimes. It's, uh, it's just a lot of different things and it's, um, forwards and backwards and, um, yeah. I, I, and developing a relationship, um, with myself so that I can, um, you know, be sober and sobriety to today looks for me like feeling good about the things that I do and the people that I see or hang out with, um, so that I can feel good about, uh, just feel good in my body about, um, being honest and, uh, being kind and looking at my part. That's, that's usually what it comes back down to. Okay. doesn't matter who's doing what over there. I have choices. I can learn how to do boundaries. I can pick up the phone. It's just so much available to me now. So yeah, that's all. And even if I, you know, even if I mess up or if I like I had a slip a few years ago, it doesn't matter. You know, it makes you feel bad enough that you come back, even though um, we feel that shame and everything, it pushes us back to come, come back. And there's never any, there's all, you know, there's never any, uh, there's always a way, some, some way to feel better. Um, and, uh, I, I know that after talking to someone in the program, tell me when it's time. I hope so. Cause I'm wrapping up right now, but I, I want to be able to, um, if, if I ever feel, um, bad or guilty or just all the things that come up. Um, I know that I can take medicine and my medicine is I have to try two, two phone calls a day. Um, and no shame if that doesn't happen. I just made it a thing one, one year and it really worked for me. And sometimes it may only be one, sometimes it'll be three, but that's, that's part of my goal, and uh, I have to hit those meetings a few times a week. Uh, and that's just what I do to feel better. <laughs> that's kind of what I have to do, and that's okay, because it really, it does, it grounds me. So that's all I have, and um, yeah, 12-step recovery saved my life, that's for sure. Um, that's all I have. Thanks. Thanks for listening. That's it for this month's speaker meeting. 
Stay tuned to Sober Sisters Talk for next month's speaker. Thank you.